Hey everyone, it is an episode of Papa's Basement. You you found it already, so I guess you had deduced that much. We have one of my usual co-hosts, Molly Hackerling, with me. Bonjour. Hello, Molly, who <laughs> just revealed to me that she has not shaved her legs since the start of pandemic, in case uh, you were trying to sexualize her on yeah. any level. Hence the bonjour, because I am French <laughs> in my armpits and my legs. And also, some dudes are into that, John. Not everyone's a chauvinist pig like you. Yeah, I know. I uh, It's one of those things that I just, I wish I could get over. Like, I genuinely feel embarrassed the depths to which I feel these things. But it reminds me of my old history teacher, Mr. Prowl, who said that his mom could just, like, never be chill around Japanese people because of all the propaganda videos she was fed during World War II. Oh, my God. I love that you're comparing my body hair to, like, nationalism yeah. and Japanese racism. Yeah, you know, I grew up looking at pictures of Kathy Ireland, and now I can't tolerate body hair. It's cool. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah. My leg hair is basically the equivalent of a 1940s Dr. Seuss cartoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your leg hair is my Pearl Harbor. Okay. Right. That's, uh, but we have a very special guest who's been on the show a number of times. He's a celebrated author. Um, you've produced countless, really incredible audiobooks as well with a very talented vocal cast. I, I am speaking, of course, of Michael Sachs. Mike, man, welcome. Only gay friends and my mom would call me Michael. Michael. <laughs> Michael. <laughs> Michael. <laughs> well, John is everyone's pod mom, so yeah. yes. And uh, I, I didn't. Why would the? Why do the gay friends do Michael? I get the mom, but I don't know. But every gay person I work with at Vanity Fair would call me Michael. I loved it because <laughs> they're all equally like I have that maternal disappointment. <laughs> yeah, that's Michael. right. You can hear that in their sing song voice. <laughs> You can tell because it's a descending note pattern. <laughs> right. It's a minor note. I love the sing-song voice like they're court eunuchs or something. Oh, shit. Uh, Mike, you have... Michael, you uh, are currently promoting Passing on the Right, correct? Passing on the Right and the book about Passing on the Right called Let's Do This Shit. And Jeez. that is about the marketing of Passing on the Right. I did something I never do, and I always tell people not to do especially young authors, you do not hire your own PR person hoping they will help because they're very expensive and they're often completely useless. So <laughs> I hired this guy for $3,000 and mm -hmm. he got me absolutely no interviews. All he did was send out to his contacts uh, a press release that I wrote. So the book that I wrote is digital only. It's called Let's Do This Shit, which is what he told me in the beginning um about <laughs> our, my experience dealing with this huckleberry who didn't know a thing about humor and was trying to sell a book that he never understood himself he never read it he never read the summary and to this day i can assure you he doesn't know what it was about he probably doesn't even know how to read that well probably not i mean you know these guys are not the brightest i have to say and excuse me all you marketing people out there but i've dealt with book marketers and PR people for many years and oftentimes they're not even readers certainly not reading the books that they're trying to promote um I learned this the hard way because I was in a band for a while and we were always like you know the schmoes who were trying to figure out like how to little rascals our way into like you know getting some sort of traction so we hired a publicist and yeah basically all a publicist is is a person who maybe smoked a joint with a famous person once and now like oh they're you so know. lazy i mean talk yeah. about lazy 
Holy crap. I mean, yeah, they're I, happy to take your money and talk about like everyone they've ever schmoozed, but they can't do anything. I, I also, this is not me doing a bit. I also got fucked in that regard. <laughs> uh, my friend Dawn, you've met Dawn actually. Yeah, like, I we, uh, Dawn. yeah, mm-hmm. we, we met you once in Brooklyn. Um, I, she had a friend who does marketing. And this is the one time I wanted to put Papa's basement out there. And she's like, well, for $750, I will make some shit happen. And I gave her $750. Mm-hmm. And as far as I know, she went on to my Instagram and followed about 20 accounts that really could do nothing to help me advance the podcast. Mm-hmm. And that's what my 750 bucks bought me. It was a total fucking waste of money. I have an even worse story than that. I Some person asked, he emailed me. I knew him a little bit. He said, would you come on my podcast? Uh, what I do is I reach out to people that I know, and I, I'll see if they know you and your work. So I thought, okay, whatever. So uh, he did so. He reached out to about 15 people, none of whom had heard of me or my work. But I hadn't read the fine print in the email because he – was charging me $300 for that opportunity to be on that podcast. So I had to fucking pay him $300. Oh, my God. Oh, by the way, you now owe John Papa Georgia $400 for the exposure oh, big on the Yeah, podcast. but Shit. only in Shoney's coupons. I love how this is like, turned into, like, a, a support network for people with, like, um, promoter PTSD. Oh, God. Like, I cannot tell you. I don't care. I am about to pay because I'm self-employed. So my taxes are just paid in bulk, like every April 15th. So I don't even know how much my ass is getting bitten for later today because <laughs> everything's done at the last minute. But like, I absolutely lose my mind when money is just lost like this. I, I actually, this is going to sound insane. I have a woman that I've been friends with online for years I mean, like, years, years. You're friends with a woman? I know, right? <laughs> she calls me Michael. I don't know why. Michael. <laughs> Michael. Michael. And I, a couple of months ago, like, we, we had always been flirtatious. She had had a boyfriend. I was in a worse place where that used to not really slow me down at all. <laughs> I met her via Reddit because she posted herself nude. That's how I met people when I was in this crappier place. Boing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know, overall was a decent person. She got single. Things seemed to be picking up. She's like, when are you visiting? I'm like, give me a bit. I've got a lot of improv these weekends. So, you know. <laughs> and she still wanted to see you after you said that? Well, apparently not. But uh, <laughs> long story short. Yeah, what she, does this uh, have to do with uh, coupons? Shoney's coupons. <laughs> <laughs> My point is. She at one point I I sent her a couple hundred bucks worth of video game crap because I wasn't really playing video games and I was like here enjoy these games I haven't touched in a while. She has like I don't know if she's going nut bar or is just I, I couldn't tell you what's going on. I have been more or less ghosted by this person. Oh my God. And I'm just kind of like, you know, I really wish I, yeah. And, and have so... to mention the improv. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I, I didn't realize improv gave you license to steal <laughs> the Nintendo switch crap, but it drives me crazy. I still think of that. It happened in junior high school. I lent a girl, a Genesis cassette. And <laughs> she ghosted me in the fucking school. It wasn't even like she was online or, 
she would avoid me in the hallways ju- for years just not to give back the cassette. She just took oh, your Sonic God. 2 yeah. and Goodbye. just ghosted. And oh, I would have fucking given it to her if she just asked. What album was it? It was the one with the shapes on it, the squares and the uh, the circles. Uh, was that a Fisher Price thing? <laughs> yes, I'm confused. It was. Uh... I was ghosted by this girl in preschool. Gave her my Tonka truck and just never heard from her again. That's right. I was 24 and she was three. <laughs> uh, once, once she understood object permanence, I was out there. All right, you want to hear a really North Virginia story? Oh, yes. Yeah. yes okay. Do. So you mentioned Shoney's um, coupons. Well, my friend, I don't know if you know Ted Travelstead. He's a comedy writer and comedian. Great That's guy. A great he's. He's from, I was just thinking that. Yeah. From well, did, did the gays in your office call him Theodore? Theodore. <laughs> Michael, I know you're at your dad. I used to get uh, all these messages on my machine from one editor in particular whom I love. Michael, you are so at your desk, but I'll leave a message anyway. <laughs> anyway, so um, my friend was telling me he was working in a Mexican place in Crystal City Underground. Okay. God. Okay. Right. And he was working with a retarded person and the retarded person was told to get something up top, you know? So what the retarded person did was he climbed up on in the kitchen and mistakenly accidentally has one of his, you know, his right foot, left foot fell into the fryer. Oh, Oh, right. So uh, he was taken aside and they said to him, listen, you know, we can deal, you know, with a potential payout or whatever, or we can give you free food for life. This oh was my a God. Mexican place. Yeah. So the kid chose the free food for life, and the restaurant closed down two months later. Oh, my oh. God, no. <laughs> oh, no. How Crystal City is that? Oh, oh my God. God. <laughs> that actually sounds like a perfect story for a place called Crystal City. Uh, you are yeah. not familiar with Nova, are you? I am not, but it's just like the name, you know, when like a town is awful, so they name it something that sounds awesome, like Crystal City mm-hmm. or Paradise Cove, right? and then you right. just know the place is just dog shit Absolute and everyone's garbage. an asshole. My absolute, how I spent my 21st birthday, right, my dad had died like a couple months prior and a friend and I went to the Crystal City nightclub which was a Wait, what was it called? It was literally it's called I think Crystal City Nightclub. It was the strip joint. Yeah, that I was think like, it was called yeah, Bonies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we we used to call it the Breastaurant. <laughs> I know exactly where that was. Of course, I think it's still there to this yeah. day. And like because of Virginia law, they could not even get nude, Mm-mm. which was uh, like a blessing and a curse because you would be amazed the women who are okay with parading around in pasties versus actually getting naked like you do get a a cut above in the stripper world and i remember getting a free heineken and a cupcake with a candle in it because all of my friends were still in college living life i was a fucking locksmith figuring it out on the fly and that was my 21st i've seen so much (laughs) sadness in strip clubs in new orleans i once saw a guy pay to have a stripper just listen to him for 30 adorable no and i bet the strippers loved him i bet they all wanted to take him home no, they were rolling their eyes at him. oh really back. yeah uh, take oh, him God, home sure like... the strippers with a heart of gold are gonna take <laughs> this middle-aged guy home 
just to talk to them. Well, I mean, you just figure that, like, after getting, like, pinched and prodded and harassed physically all day, you're like, you just want to talk? Thank fucking God. Like, yes, I can pretend to listen and nod my head for five minutes. Just I don't think maybe me. whores would appreciate that, but not uh, <laughs> Bourbon Street strippers. Oh, okay. They're like, look, objectify me or why am yeah. I? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I actually was here to grind my clam on something. <laughs> I had a birthday at a strip club and um, I feel like the dancer really liked me. But then I guess every douchebag guy walks out of a strip club going, oh, she really liked me. <laughs> what was this? A male stripper? No, it was a female stripper. We went oh. to like scores or something. I was like 25. They brought out oh. like, a plate <laughs> of like milky whipped cream or something that probably had like all sorts of diseases in it. And um, yeah, and made out with a stripper and had the birthday time. I feel like everyone, everyone has probably had at least one sleazy strip club birthday, right? Did you ever have a uh, all you can eat raw seafood bar at a strip club? <laughs> uh, n- no. I That's that was a new level of fancy that I haven't had, had yes, yet. Yes, this was near the airport in Metairie, Louisiana. Oh, my God. Actually sounds pretty solid, not going to lie. <laughs> no, the crawfish was fantastic. I was literally going to say, yeah, crawfish. The king amazing. crab legs were really <laughs> cut above. And, and Molly, to answer your question, I think I spent birthdays 21 through like 26 at strip clubs. And they were like, oh, he's back again. They're rolling their eyes. Yeah, and <laughs> he wants to talk. It was, yeah. Uh, Did you ever like... spend a holiday at a strip club? Like a Thanksgiving? Yeah. A Passover? Yeah. A yeah, Passover. Yeah. Right. Uh, Yom Kippur. As well, <laughs> the Day of Atonement. Mm-hmm. Arbor yeah. Day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I went there on Hanukkah and I was like, I am now going to stretch one load in my pants into eight. It's magic. I have enough body oil for one. <laughs> I have, uh, I've done it all because, uh, my brother, I love the guy, tries to take kind of excess to the nth degree. You know, I guess we both have a lot of damage that we process in our, our different ways. So I have to be a good brother. I, I mean, fuck, I, I went with Eva, I think either Christmas Eve or Christmas Day Oof. to a strip club. The three of us. Like that was back when Eva came to town. She will next time she's on air, she will tell that story. Yeah, she used to come to town. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like the name of an old movie. She came to town. <laughs> yeah. She used to come to town. She came to Crystal City. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh Clint Eastwood wearing his poncho on the cover. <laughs> Uh, the second Eva gets like a break to cut away from like her stupid family, she's gonna want to go out to a strip club and bust loose. I guarantee it. <laughs> bust, bust wads in her pants. It's just gonna be like, I want to see somebody else with chafed nipples. Fuck this motherhood <laughs> thing. Nipples. <sighs> that takes me back. <laughs> what a marathon you ran. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Seder Passover. <laughs> Now, Molly Israel, you're Jewish. I am Jewish. Yes. What? Jewish. <laughs> yeah, my last name is legally still Israel. Um, mm-hmm. I I never went through the rigmarole of actually changing it. Good. I, mean, um, I mean, you are the only two I could get to record with me on Good Friday. So. <laughs> oh my God, that's right. Good Friday. <laughs> hey, I, wonder, I wonder why my daughter was off today. <laughs> 
I'm uh, I'm actually with the Jews on this one because I celebrate Greek Easter, which <laughs> rarely lines up with Caucasian Christ Easter. So, it's true. It can be quite a difference too. Oh, sometimes it's like a month. It's insane. Yeah. Crazy. Do you do you play the egg, the red ed egg game? Oh hell What's yeah! That? What's yeah, that? Uh, yeah. You. Uh, I used to play you, that with my ex. Yeah. <laughs> you you dye a dozen eggs and cram them inside you. Every whole game, Molly. <laughs> but no, you have to be uh, on your period. That's why it's the red <laughs> egg. <laughs> That's how you dye them. Um, it's so you, as Greeks, I guess to symbolize the blood of Christ or some shit, you take a wad of eggs and then you boil them in this very potent red dye that will stain whatever the hell you're boiling in. Like that pot is gone for good. <laughs> and then you take these hard boiled eggs and you hold them and it's almost like you do like a, you know, I declare thumb war thing with them. Mm. And like one person will smash the egg into the other person's egg. And you see, like, whose egg can kind of, like, go up the leaderboard. And then you're just left with this pile of smashed eggs. And it's like, what, are we going to fucking reenact Cool Hand Luke? Why does every Greek celebration have to do with, like, smashing things? We're a simple people, okay? the eggs, just everything smashed on the floor. And then the mother going, I'm not cleaning this up. Yeah, The Incredible Hulk was based upon a Greek janitor. Well, would your mom make egg salad? Because my ex's mom would then take all the eggs, like they hadn't been touched enough, yeah. run them under a tap of cool water and make it into... She got this gross, like, scariest lightly, egg salad. Yeah, lightly pink egg salad oh, because it's God. permeated somewhat. I, no, I mean, we would legitimately... Oh god, this I, I'll get into some gross hoarder shit in a second. Like we would uh just chuck the majority of the eggs, but if you went to Greek church like on that Easter Sunday, a lot of times they would give you eggs and they were like wrapped almost like in a nylon stocking, like they were gonna like <laughs> rob a bank later or something. God. And my mom would view these things like I like they were the Pope's toenail clippings. You know what I mean? And they would just live in the fridge. I shit you not for years, like the more batty and religious she got as she aged. And I can remember on occasion, like, you know, you would come home with like a, you know, like a 24 pack and need to like get some room and cram them to the back and shatter these things. And inside them would just be like a little yellow ball. Cause like everything else had withered away. Oh my like, God. yeah, it was like some leather face shit. You know what I mean? It was really grotesque. Oh, your poor mom probably has like a memory associated with each of those eggs. Or it's like 100%, that's yeah, 1987 where your father belched and said, excuse me, but said, excuse me, like he really loved me that day. <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> the Thelios. The Thelios. <laughs> Yeah, that's, uh, that is a hundred percent, Molly. How the hoarder brain works. It is. Yeah. It's Are you living with your mom? Oh, me? Yeah. Hell yeah. Still, I mean, yeah, well, yeah. I yeah. <laughs> no, I get to do half of my time now in my friend Dawn's apartment. Like she goes up to see her boyfriend and get dicked out in Frederick, Maryland. You know the idea. <laughs> oh. And um, she gets dicked out. Yeah, she gets <laughs> oh. I wanted to Google Maps that address. <laughs> Molly, what's they, around there? Well, it, when I was growing up, it was called Redneck. Yeah, or Fredneck. <laughs> yeah, Fredneck, right. Uh, it's actually beautiful now. I was down there recently, and um, it's changed. It's really nice now. But it used to be very rural, very farm. 
Yeah, it was, I mean, it was like beautiful small town shit. Like my mom will describe her childhood and it sounds like it's a wonderful life type stuff. She you know, like Frederick. I didn't know she that. She did. Oh yeah. Like despite, uh, yeah, her dad was fresh off the boat and the mom was like one generation in. So they were like the only Greeks in town or some crap. And they owned a diner? They owned a restaurant, the Bluebird. Wow. And then uh, they built an overpass uh, that kind of like let people pass by Frederick and that mm. murdered my grandpa's income. And then I think he tried to like uh, purchase the property where the restaurant was. So he wasn't getting screwed on rent, but they wouldn't sell to a Greek. Yeah. Oh, and uh, yeah. And then he was mugged and died a couple months later what? as a result of his injuries. Yeah. In Frederick? In Frederick, Maryland. Yeah. Wow. That's Stuck a beautiful in... story. Yeah, that's that like so Clockwork sweet. Orange. <laughs> yeah, he was murdered by the Drugs. Yeah, <laughs> and he was singing a drunken song, and they just fucking murdered him. How many times have you been asked about Windex? Because my ex has. We were asked constantly, you know, after my big fat Greek wedding came out. Ugh. Constantly, first of all, if we had seen the movie, and second of all, if her family used Windex. Oh, the I Windex gag movie. A horrible fucking movie. I Awful. you know what like that movie to Greeks must be what Miss Maisel is like to female yep. comedians where it's like have you seen this thing that's not at all reflective of what you actually do well, let's talk about that because my theory on this it's not even a theory it's just my feeling I've never seen a fictional comedian who has made me laugh ever me neither yeah not once it... not once has one ever said a joke like Mrs. Maisel I will look at all her stand-up and not once find anything remotely funny I know it's promo very... years ago and basically the joke that they were leading with was a ripoff of the Seinfeld one where Kramer sees a baby and says it looks like Winston Churchill and it's like okay you lifted one funny joke from Seinfeld butchered it and then we're like oh isn't she funny oh I thought you were going to talk about something else Kramer did on the stage <laughs> oh no yeah I want to see the episode where Miss Maisel drops the n-bomb and gets canceled <laughs> Christ yeah I I what's funny is that was a show I actually watched with my mom um, which was really good. The episodes where she just pulls out her jugs on stage and you're like, huh, okay. And, uh, That's a thing that she does? Oh, yeah. Like, I want to say That's first so infuriating. No, because like every female comedian, look. It was well, first season, yeah. We'll show you our jugs because we're whores or because we want you to pay us. But no one's going to go up on stage during their sets. Like that's that's some male writing bullshit. Yeah, no you know kidding. What I mean? No, it was, it was written by the the Gilmore Girls lady. No fucking way. Oh yeah. It's Amy Palladino. What do they know? Squints Palladoras. It just doesn't ring true to me at all. But yeah. the character I do like is the Lenny Bruce guy who plays Lenny Bruce. I think he's great. Hmm. I haven't seen one episode of the show. I'm one of those people where, like, the second someone's like, have you seen this? Like, if everyone's talking about it, I'm just like, well, I'm not watching that. I'm going to watch, you know, whatever movie I'm autistically binging on at the time. <laughs> I'm just... kind of the same way. I mean, if, if everyone's watching the same thing, what? how can I benefit from that? Yeah, I mean, I would feel Michael, don't Michael. Michael. Part of the discourse. Michael. You, you are so at your desk. <laughs> nope never seen this me i saw one episode my boyfriend tried to show it to me when we first started dating and um you know but you know the scene where like the the dude's fucking his sister and the kid sees and then he pushes the kid out the window you talking mm-hmm. about my um, wedding video yeah, <laughs> yeah right? <laughs> so i like burst out laughing because i thought that shit was hilarious and he was like why did you know he thought i was a sociopath so clearly i wasn't getting the right <laughs> Who are you watching this with again? Nelson Mandela? It was Jason. Oh. 
Uh, he seems like a surprisingly good person. Like he has a good sense of humor, but he's also a good person, and I'm not. So, like you know, a thing that's awful, I'll just be like, bah! and he's just like, "What the fuck is yeah, wrong?" It's not an actual laughing. kid being killed. In which case, I still might laugh. I don't know. My mom once came in. I was screaming with laughter. I was a kid, and she came in. She goes, "What's so funny?" And it was one of the <laughs> Walendas was falling to his death in Puerto Rico when it was windy. <laughs> yeah. And she looked at me like, what the hell is wrong with you? I but... thought you were going to be like, my mom comes in and I'm laughing. She's like, what is it? And you're like, 9-11. Yeah. <laughs> it's Schindler's List. <laughs> I love this movie. It's the Farrelly Brothers, right? <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, yeah, I, I actually, it's funny, uh, a show that I have been watching that I don't think has caught on yet, uh, Tokyo Vice. Oh, I want to see that. It's good. Yeah, oh, it's good. You'll laugh. Oh, it's, it's based on a, uh, some reporter, Jake Edelstein, who like was in Japan in his twenties in the late nineties covering the Yakuza. And, like, the first episode is directed by Michael Mann. And, fuck, I just, I love heat. Like, I, Michael Mann is just, I love that dude so much. <laughs> You're feeling the heat right now. Just yeah. Michael Mann. <laughs> Your balls My... are heating up. <laughs> Papa George. <laughs> Papa Giorgio. Uh, Yoannis. We'll do the Greek name. Um, yeah, and it's great because you just get all these dudes with really thick Japanese accents oh, talking that. in English. Yeah, I, I could listen that. to it all day. Oh, He's getting it. hard again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, Mr. Jacob Edelstein, please come this way. <laughs> I fucking lose it. You <laughs> <laughs> are a simple people, you three. <laughs> And then they throw a glass on the wall, Michael. That's Michael. how you know it's funny. Michael. I smash a plate and yell, Opa, right before I come. <laughs> oh, shit. Man, that's my favorite scene in movie history when the karate kid drops through those five ice blocks. I'm like, ah, so much. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, I want to, I know, but I want to get back to, um, Let's do this shit because yeah. I really enjoyed all the excerpts I, I read because um, it, it also reminded me of like Hollywood agents where it's mm -hmm. like, I didn't read a thing, but I'm so excited. And oh, this is the God. place where you can die of encouragement. Well, that's just it. I got into writing books. So I wouldn't have to deal with that bullshit. And I've dealt with Hollywood <laughs> crap and I just can't stand it. So like I thought he was going to be, you know, like a book nerd like I am, but he was just as mm -hmm. bad as any hollywood publicist uh, and not so a second of him thinking or saying you know what maybe i should refund your money nothing oh of course not yeah no. i'm i'm actually surprised that you ever heard from him again after I you did gave him the money a certain point um at, well after the day he worked for, with me for one month and that was fucking it i never heard from him again but Wait, the three end. large for one month. Yeah. Oh, my he, God. He, he, he's told me he was doing me a favor. because. <gasps> oh, my it, God. It's, it's two months for 6,000 is the minimum. But he's going to do me a favor for this one. <sighs> so I don't think he's read the book to this day. And then in the end, he was blaming me, you know, and I guess it is my fault in a sense that more people didn't buy the book because of what I wrote and how I wrote it. I thought he was blaming you for trusting him. <laughs> yeah. Blaming uh, you for not paying so him more. <laughs> Yeah, you got to pay him everything, the, the complete thing, even before he starts. So you don't even know how good they're going to be. 
No. Oh my god. Is I mean, is there anyone reputable in that domain? Like, were you just trying to save a couple bucks, or are these people just uniformly garbage? No, save bucks. I mean, this guy, see, he had handled a few humor writers, um, one of whom was a former SNL guy. But it's a different generation. And the, this guy, Alan Zweibel, was an original writer for Saturday Oh, yeah. yeah, oh, I know him. yeah. He's amazing. Yeah, he's a great guy. And his book was great. But it's a different book than what I am doing. So I just made the connection that maybe this guy could get me in. All I wanted was one show. All I wanted was one podcast, whether it was like Conan's podcast or Mark Maron's or something, you know, that would pay off. But nothing, zero. And um, he only got me on shows I would have gotten on anyway. That sucks. Yeah. Um, I got a book out of it. Yeah, I mean, the book idea is hilarious because I feel like anyone who's dealt with a publicist in any realm would relate to it so hard. Or anyone who's ever dealt with an agent because agents are kind of the same way where it's like, I sent you a three-page treatment and you're like, I don't get it. And it's like, you didn't read it, did you? Right, exactly. I mean, I don't mind someone not getting it, but if you don't even read, listen, the whole book I can understand not reading is 450 pages, but mm-hmm. he asked me to do a three page synopsis and then a one page synopsis. And by the end, I was just sent, you know, basically was an elevator pitch. And if you don't even read or understand that, how are you going to convince anyone to have me on the show? By the end, you just sent him a series of emojis and he still didn't read them. <laughs> right. Yeah, did you make a little flip book for him? I mean, I want to know if he has seen this book. I haven't heard anything from him. Oh, I was about to ask that. Yeah. Like, given this book is about that guy. Yeah, well, people have been asking me, oh, aren't you afraid to piss him off or to cut, you know, uh, ties to certain people? I don't give a fuck. Oh, yeah, because he was doing so much for your career. Yeah. You really depended on him. (laughs) Yeah, clearly this guy can't get anything out to the broader public. I think you're fine. Yeah, I think I'm just fine. Uh, he probably doesn't even read his emails. He's never gonna. Well, he's one of those people where you talk to him on the phone and you know his mind is elsewhere. I mean, like, I hate that. It's like talking to someone on the moon. Like, they're five seconds behind. They're not listening to a thing you're, they're saying. You can tell they're reading an email or doing this or doing that. Right. Uh, which is a pet peeve of mine. I mean, if you're on the phone with someone, at least you can be there mentally. Right. Yeah, I agree. I And that's the thing that really annoys me about, like, I'm going to sound like such a curmudgeon now, but like, there's no generation with the cell phone. <laughs> it's just like, everyone's only like half paying attention yeah, to who they're with or where they are or what they're doing. So it's like, I'm sure he's only paying as much attention. <laughs> I'm sorry, what was going on? <laughs> this motherfucker just walked to the bathroom. He just walked <laughs> to the bathroom for that joke. <laughs> God. Oh. He just walked to the bathroom. <laughs> was your mom in there? Do you have to kick her out? Mom, I'm trying to drop a tooth. <laughs> Mom, I gotta spot. drop heat. Stop shaving your legs. <laughs> Stop being so fat. <sighs> How's your so, mom, Papa Giorgio? <laughs> I, you know what? I've actually been in Dawn's apartment for the last week, giving insulin and monitoring the the blood sugar of this cat, who's what? treated better than most diabetics the world over. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Dawn has a cat named Mason. And Mason has diabetes as a result of being both a tub of shit and being on an asthma medication. So, again, this cat is treated well. And so twice a day, pretty much I am here so that twice a day, 
I give him food mixed with a, a powder because the insulin gives him horrible dumps. And oh. so he's on a powder and a pill, I think, to control the dumps. Oh, and uh, yeah, uh, that is my role in life. I'm a locksmith, podcaster, improviser, cat caretaker. That's where we're at right now. Are you 41. Living, are you living in heaven? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the dream. Good yeah. God, man. You uh, know what's funny is that like what you just described is probably how 75% of the country lives right now. <laughs> everyone has a podcast. Everyone lives with their mom and everyone's taking care of their sick fucking cat. Yeah. I'm a rich friend's sick cat. Yeah. Yeah. You, you almost sound resentful that the cat is getting medical attention. <laughs> like I don't want it to just die in the, the cat gutter, has insurance but... and you don't. Yeah. <laughs> but a part of me is like looking at him and it's like, yeah, he's as I put my phone against the fucking insulin sensor that's been buried in them you know embedded in them i'm like good god what percentage of like the world isn't treated this well medically and again i mean i don't begrudge the cat a good percentage of the world if you tried to put like insulin detectors inside their brains would go off into some QAnon like k-hole shit you know about how you're trying to track them or monitor their brain waves or something do your parents have any QAnon friends who me yeah both of you i mean i my both my parents are gone, but they had friends who were became nut jobs, religious uh, conservative nut jobs. I I have a friend who is in a band that I used to that we used to play with, um, and he apparently is like a Trumper, and I never would have seen it coming. I don't think he's QAnon. QAnon's next level, and I feel really bad because I feel like there's so many things about our society that really just exacerbate anyone's condition if you have any form of paranoid schizophrenia like the internet just like kicks that shit up to 11 between the parasocial relationships the misinformation and just like the surveillance it's like it's like if you you look at them and you're like I know that you're crazy, but I see how you're this crazy. Yeah, it's so interesting how it hits the pleasure center so perfectly in their brains that it can end mass. These people can get into these delusions. I mean, it's just perfect. Because over the course of years and decades, everything you're doing online is giving data to the people that are then crafting these experiences to make them more addictive. Like, I remember... Do you remember the the game World of Warcraft, which I think is still around? Like yeah. the yeah, it's this huge online game, and like people used to get together. I, I think when it started out, there were some missions where it was like fifty people would have to get together, and as the years went on with this game, they would see like what missions were getting played more. So we're going to make more of that. Oh, fifty people's too many. We're going to winnow it down to twenty five, and now we're winnowing it down to ten. And it became more and more and more of just like, you know, here's just pure fucking icing. There's no even cupcake anymore. (laughs) And and because all you're doing by plugging into anything Mm -hmm. that is online is saying like, this is what I look at, you know, like fucking. And eventually I think all of us would crack in some way or another. I yeah, I'm I'm um just on the right side of the crazy fence enough to be self-aware about it. And then when I see it in other people, I'm like, oh, no, this is sad. How, like, when it's unbridled and just, like, left to, you know, go crazy, like, 
Uh, if you already have a persecution complex, like all this shit just plays right into it. It really does. And it would go for religion as well. I mean, my brother's super, super religious and just lost his mind and has been in Israel now for 20 years. Get the oh, fuck shit. out of here. Seriously. Yeah, He's like yeah. a birthright zealot. Uh, Aliyah. Yeah. He, he had. Um... Well, what happened? The dead he... singer. He... <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. The dead sea singer. <laughs> <laughs> he. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, was in Portland, Oregon, and he was alone, lonely. And uh, my grandmother suggested he reach out to a rabbi for a possible uh, Friday night dinner, Sabbath dinner, and he did. And before you knew it, he was sucked into this world that is so cult-like and so frightening. Mm. And he brought his girlfriend with him, and they both went over to Israel, and they're still there to this day. Wait, get the... I did not really... Wow. You have, like, a full-blooded brother, like, Older, younger, what? Younger. See, I mean, we grew up in Maryland, Virginia. We, we did not grow up religious. We would, yeah. re, you know, reform at best. And it just fascinates me to see people succumb to, and I have other friends for Catholicism and other religions. They just succumb. And I think what it is is all your questions are answered and there's no mystery. And if that's what you want, you're going to get it. Because he has to ask his rabbi for everything, permission to do anything. Right. And also, like, I'm sure, like, the feeling of acceptance and community is huge, too. So. That's um, absolutely right. It's a family, and it's very insular. They're not allowed radio, newspapers, outside, damn. any outside influence. So it's very insular. And it's they, like a cult. It is a cult. Yeah. It's totally a cult. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, everyone just wants to belong to something. And I feel like nine times out of ten, people will sell out anything that they ever previously believed just to be liked or to feel accepted. Well, I'll tell you, that brings me to my new book, Passing on the Right, because what this book is about, how smooth was that? Yes, that was awesome. That was a great plug. Michael! <laughs> You're you <proud>. dickens! <laughs> yeah. So what has been bothering me, and... Tell me if this is bothering you, Molly. I got into comedy because I wanted to get away from assholes. Yeah. And what I've been seeing recently is a lot of assholes are getting into comedy now. And these are the people I got into comedy to get away from. Yeah. You know, whether it's Dennis Miller or Jim Brewer or Joe Rogan. Maybe not that they're getting into it now, but the popularity has exploded. And to me, comedy is against what these people are preaching. You know, to me... It's about goodness and acceptance and not to be a dick. And this book was really about uh, the entitled fucks that I grew up with in Bethesda, mm. Maryland. It, I, I sort of pitch it as Judge Kavanaugh if he ever got into it. <laughs> uh, That's right funny. Oh, my but, God. So it's really about that. So that is what it's about. And then, of course, it ends with January 6th. So it's the first January 6th comedy. Right. Oh, my God. That's funny. Yeah. I mean, how is that not a book that's already on everyone's fucking mantle? Well, it's um, not on everyone's fucking mantle. Because, <laughs> you know, what? They're not, they don't even print books anymore. It's <laughs> just the whole industry's dying. Not I'm, on everyone's <laughs> Mike's got I the numbers. It. I mean, you're obviously I don't mean to to um, compare us because you're obviously head and shoulders above me intellectually, oh, sure. professionally yeah, and everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. But I, yeah, I got into like writing books and doing comedy for the same reasons and it's so funny to see that all the the, the things that you were trying to get away from are mm -hmm. are like there too or just slowly infiltrating those arenas because 
we live in a society that values appearances and money making and very little else. And absolutely, and that's um, why I so unfairly hate Colin Jost. Jost, um, I, who is that? He's an he's the it's, SNL. Uh, uh, it's Colin Jost. There's a umlaut. Oh, Yes. I also I love being the person who's like, who's this person that everyone's heard of and I don't give a shit about? You don't know who Colin Jost I don't watch was? SNL. It was like the same time like Max Landis was like, I banged Kristen Stewart. And I was like, who's Kristen Stewart? And it's like the Twilight chick. Oh, okay, whatever. You know, that is interesting because I don't watch much comedy. I watch drama and documentaries and sports, but I don't watch much. People think I'm like a comedy obsessive. But right. when you're in comedy, there's you're kind of particular, and there's a lot you don't like. I watched a lot more comedy when I was starting to get into comedy because I wanted to study what people were doing. And here's what I'll say: is like this sort of goes back to what you were saying about all the assholes and shit. It was like I came into comedy after doing music, and music can be weird because like you know, the people in the other bands are sizing you up. It feels very competitive. Everyone wants to feel like the coolest person in the room. So when I first started doing comedy, I was like, this is refreshing. This is what people do when they don't give a shit about looking good or being cool or blah, blah, blah. Like they're just trying to be authentically themselves. And sometimes that's something you age into, which is also cool. It's like not an ageist industry. That's right. And then the more I started doing comedy, the more I was like, oh, no, this is exactly all the things that it shouldn't be. It is ageist and it is driven by like massive egos. And everyone is kind of silently judging each other, even though we should all be in the trenches together. And like a lot of people are bad faith comics where it's like they use comedy as a guise to say some really shitty things that aren't jokes. They're what they actually But those aren't the people you want to form bonds with, right? I mean, the people who you want to form bonds with are decent and it doesn't matter if they're gay, straight, old, Asian, white. That's right, Michael. But that's the family that one should surround themselves with. There's always going to be assholes. Right. It's just the success of these assholes recently that sort of bewildered me. It's disheartening. And I also don't like seeing comedy turn into sort of like a mean girls popularity contest either. Because I feel like for female comics, like, and I don't even want to make the distinction. It's only because of sexism that I have to. That like, we're still slavish to all the things about being a woman that it like infects our comedy as well so even being a female comic sort of feels like i'm trapped in this like 1980s heather's high school nightmare (laughs) where like even the women don't like me because i'm not like a hot girl comic or i'm just like that's the thing with with stand i never got into stand-up i mean it always struck me as just brutal it's brutal yeah and everyone's like i don't know even the people you think are your friends there's rifts there's weirdness there's like territorial bullshit they're possessive of each other it's it's very strange it's like something i wasn't mm-hmm. counting on and that's why i sort of like backed away from doing shows as much and doing comedy as much i was like yeah i'd, I'd rather be sitting at home and just writing now is improv like that george uh, <laughs> george i mean Improv, compared to every other form of comedy, from what I've encountered, is very, 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 like, hyper-liberal and huge on acceptance. And, I mean, that's, it's, I'm pretty good with that. I I like that overall. 
occasionally like it's improv shit's made up on stage and like something might slip that might not be the wokest thing and i you know when there's like a 45 minute debrief following that and you're like come on man it's like a 90 minute class really um no improv by and large is a lot more theater kind of vibe than it is stand up or really any other comedic arena and so through that it is it's still really really high on like the tolerance values like you know there's a lot of lgbtq jams and you know uh just uh it's it's a lot better than stand-up i'll put it that way yeah in terms of stand-up always seemed to me the most cutthroat yes it's um it's one of those things that like I was never I never like actually booked myself enough or hit it hard enough to get sucked into all the drama that other comedians seem to be caught up in. So it's sort of like um the same way I feel about the Ramis family. It's like I'm part of it but I'm not part of it, so I get to watch all the drama from the outside and it's so stupid um it's just really really stupid but also like conversely the improv thing when you talk about like you know theater and acceptance and blah 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 like stand-up's hard because everyone's trying to walk this tightrope of like not offending anybody but also wanting to just say whatever the fuck they want and i feel like if you're a person with sound judgment you could usually tell when someone's saying something in good faith or in bad faith or yeah, what the joke sure. actually is or right. where the punchline is, you know, Your satirical intention. Yeah. I, I would say improv is really far to the side of like, we almost don't care your intent mm-hmm. for better or for worse. You know what I mean? It's it right. simply, it, it is like just turning a dial all the way in one direction and it has its ups. It has its downs. Yeah. And that, that I don't like either. Cause I've hung out with people before also who were very much like, you know, let's not say anything for fear of offending anyone or people who are just waiting to be offended no matter what. And they're like hetero cisgendered white people who are privileged. So it's like, fuck you. hundred percent. Um, they are typically the most fiery about that shit. Right. At they want to in... get offended on someone's behalf. So yes. they're not viewed as part of the problem. Yes. And it's like, just because you accuse doesn't oh. mean you're not culpable. So fuck off. Insufferable. Oh. And, and what you said, Molly, in terms of like standups really feeling like they're saying something, I think that's where a lot of improv can lag behind where it's like, okay, we want to show off that we can, you know, nail this Herald format that we can like, pra- you know, n- make everything work within the rules and that we are good improvisers. But at the end of the day, like you did a scene about a guy who flips burgers and then like farts every time he hears the letter E or something. And it's like, I mean, <laughs> like the worst SNL sketch anyone could imagine. Yeah. And you're like, okay, there, I, I said in a sense, nothing with this. I showed that I learned a ton of rules in some ways. It's very much like school. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, here, I will now read to you, I can recite to you the Emancipation Proclamation, but what the fuck does it mean? I don't, like, it can have that energy. And that's why I feel improv, in a sense, is one of those things that, like, no one seems to get big with. It just leads you into other things. But also, if they have the yes and approach, and if you're <laughs> up there with a lot of idiots, and you have to say yes and, where are you going to go? Yeah. You yes and them and they just, they come up with something more terrible every time you yes and them. Right. 
Um, I always thought of improv as like an exercise. So like, I don't want to sound rude because I know some people are really great at it, but it's like, I don't want to watch someone do improv any more than I want to watch them do squats. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like, this so you would hate me in other words. <laughs> I, to me, it's a deal breaker. You know Everything I, mean? like, I, I do, you, you hate. I'm yeah. sitting through this. <laughs> yes. It, it, and what, what is that? your end goal though? I, so this, for... this question is for George. Mm. I mean, I have always, I think my problem is an executive function thing where I'm completely envious of you and Molly who are able to like sit down and be like, okay, this is how, this is my point A, this is my point B, at least a point C, at least a point D. I, as I like to say, I'm very much like Heath Ledger in the dark night where (laughs) Two-Face is like about to shoot him. And he's like, I don't plan. I'm a dog chasing cars, you know, like that. (laughs) That's me. And so for my money, I simply do improv because for a time I thought it could like someone would see me do well in it and pluck me from obscurity. Yeah. And as I go on and on and on with it, I love it as an art form. And because I'm so ADD, I am enthralled by anything these days that can draw my focus like you know like i have 20 porn tabs open (laughs) while i'm texting friends like even that doesn't work these days but like you put me on an improv stage or you put me in the gym i'm actually glued to that shit and i think there's something to be said for that i mean the whole point of this is to enjoy it but what Hmm. you mentioned is something that took me a long time to learn that it doesn't happen that way and i always thought that this was like baseball where if someone recognizes you they'll call you up to the majors but you really have to go out and and want and make clear that you want the very specific thing that is your dream so if you want to write scripts for tv it seems to me you you shouldn't be spending all your time writing mcsweeney's or new yorker shouts pieces i mean you should go after exactly what you want and that took me many years because i got into writing for print to write for tv mm. and specifically letterman but it doesn't work that way it, it really doesn't i mean what, once you're kind of known as a, a certain commodity uh, you tend to stay there unless you just kind of break free which is not easy and it makes a lot of sense like no one is like oh this is my favorite pizza joint on earth i wonder if he could do like a you know a michelin thing next like you're just like he's my fucking pizza dude well it's also like the whole landscape has changed too um like there used to be more money in development or plus 100 percent, yeah thing and blah 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 like the you know whole system of checks and balances seem to apply to like comedy and television and now it's like the wild west where like yeah. all these institutions are like lumbering dinosaurs and everyone's yeah. waiting for the call they're not gonna get and, and, and that yeah, was right. i would say out of everything you could put your time into comedically i always felt like improv was kind of like i don't know comedic stem cells if you will <laughs> like you could take a you know like they would pluck some Tina. people are really for it and some are really against it yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know you would take a tina fey for example who was huge at second city and be like maybe she can write and she did write and then you take steve carell and it's like maybe he can act and write and he did all these things and it really was this kind of farm team thing and it was the last of the farm teams and i've like very childishly because of my great difficulty with strategic planning i think clung to stubbornly that notion of improv being that and after a while once i realized it wasn't i was like 
oh shit, but I still really love it. And I've gotten pretty skilled at it. And I enjoy, you know, hearing I'm decent at something that I care about for the first time in my damn life. Because before that, it's just like, oh, John does well academically. I, I didn't give a fuck about academics. And so, you know, I, I don't have much else going on. So to at least have people be like, oh, you are very funny on a stage. I'm like, that's something. Shit. Well, so- I gotta say, I mean, doing it where there's no end game, where you just do it to enjoy it. Is, yeah. I think refreshing. I mean, that's what people should be doing, but there's always an end game with most people. I mean, you do this because you want to do this, or you do that because you want to end up doing yeah. this. That's the thing I'm really sick of is like, I, I used to admire people who were ambitious and now I'm almost like annoyed by it because it just feels like nobody's making art for art's sake. Everybody no. wants to be cute or famous no, or, you know, I don't know, just get plucked for something else that's not what they're actually doing. But it's, I just wonder what that is. I mean, and I, I, I figure in, into it as well. There's always something out there that some lottery that I can win, but I just don't know if there is a win. I don't know what that would be. I, I guess it would be putting out what you want, how you want in any medium, which is very rare. Right. How, how often do you see it? Like maybe a Trey Parker, but like, you know how few and far between i feel like people who are even successful are fucking trapped and miserable totally and that's that was another lesson i mean just because you're successful doesn't mean you're not being rejected mm. you know, mel brooks has talked about not having movies made or davis sedaris has talked about not getting essays that he liked accepted so there's always frustration in every medium it's just mm-hmm. a matter of being able to consistently put out what you want how you want to do it and for me print has been the most freedom for that Mm-hmm. yeah i um yeah i'm a firm believer in like doing the thing just because you blindly feel compelled to do it but then again it's also like who wants to see that is that like masturbation like improv in a, in a way like yeah, um or just masturbation anything. like masturbation um uh, yeah, but I mean, um, there was a guy who, who was playing for this band I forget the name of the band but he the the band didn't sell at all and they put out one or two albums and then he said very sadly, like, I get it. No one wants to hear the songs. I get it. And this, this is a product people don't want. And that is a hard thing to get used to, too. I mean, you, you work a year in a book, you put it out, and it's not going to be sold in the airport, uh, airport bookstore. Right? I so mean, I wanted to bring something up that I'm embarrassed to, and I don't want to sound like I'm trying to. You were very kind to me when I finished writing this book during the pandemic. Um, and you tried to put me in touch with a lit agent. And I've been trying to get this book um, either like signed to an agency or published for like the past year. And it's one of those things where it's like, it's too weird Mm -hmm. and no one wants it or they think it has merit, but it's just like too out. And it's just sort of like one of those things we have to accept, like maybe this was a thing that I just did for me and it was a good exercise and it's good to like put yourself out there, but also rejections, just something you have to deal with. Because it's like the base of the iceberg cliche. Okay. But see, I would disagree with that because I think by saying that, you're implying that it's not worthy of being published. And it was very specific when it comes to humor and print mm. that your our sensibility is not going to match agents or publishers. Right. And you will not be able to publish a book that, say, you grew up loving a comedy book, whether it was you know, National Lampoon, Spy, whatever it is. Right. You're the equivalent of a Mr. Show. So that is why you have to circumvent it and put it out yourself because to go through the traditional publishing for comedy 
is a dead end for many reasons. One is just acceptance. The other is, do you want to write a book that comes out two years from now? I mean, who knows what is going to be out there two years from now. Right. So I would highly recommend, and I can help you with this if you want, is is you put it out yourself. You get a designer, you, you write it, hire an editor. And because in the end, you're, you want to be in charge anyway, whether it's marketing or the cover of the book or the text itself. Right. I'm kind of at that point anyway, because since I've written the book, the movie, every everything, everywhere, all at once has come out. And it's kind of a similar thing where it's like a time fraction thing. That's also the hard part is like, let's say you're trying to do something that doesn't fit into one specific genre. And then literary agents, like you were talking about how it's fallen prey to like all the trappings of Hollywood. Like, mm-hmm. it's so true. Everyone just wants something that's like, about dating or about like yoga or just like YA and it's like how would Franz Kafka fucking publish anything now because I'll tell you Franz Kafka would not have a lot of Instagram followers a lot (laughs) of it is based on just social fucking media and how is good comedy produced from that it's not produced from that but I'll also say this when you put stuff out there that doesn't exist even when you put it out yourself good things tend to happen so you have something tangible that you can show someone, whether it's an agent or a podcasting a producer, that you have ready to go. And that's a big advantage. You don't have to sell it anymore. You just say, this is what it is here. Right. Yeah. You're, you're so right. Because it's just, you know, the old guard, they're only used to one thing. And they're only concerned with marketing. So it's just like, what is every artist supposed to do? Right. I mean, go to your Barnes and Noble and look in the comedy section. Will there be one book that interests you in that comedy section? You know, as a story that actually was really encouraging to me um, was there's another great podcast that I'm going to plug on this podcast called um, A Typical Disgusting, um, A Typical and Disgusting Display. It's the Family Guy writers, um, Alex Sulkin and Julia Sharp. And um, Julia Sharp put out a book. And he was so excited for the release date. He planned to take his family to like dinner after going to Barnes and Noble and seeing his book on the shelves and stuff. And like he went to Barnes and Noble. There was no display for his book. It wasn't even there yet. Like it was just one of those like, Mm -hmm. you know, the build up for the big letdown thing where it's just like. Yeah, they don't even distribute or promote or print this shit the same way anymore. Right. So why go through the hell of trying to convince an agent and then a lower level <laughs> editor and then a higher level editor and then the marketing team who don't know anything about comedy? They're just fans of two and a half men. Why try and, why go through that for that, for that result? Right. It's so crazy because you just think it's like supposed to be people who love to read and what people who love to read are like. And that's just it's right. not that industry but also it's good to have something on the shelf i mean at least for me where i can oh, yeah. say i did that and maybe not a, many people bought it but at least it's out there if someone does want it and it, you know you never know what can happen when something is out there could you like self-publish some copies to sell at that louisiana raw bar strip club place <laughs> if any actually, of this yeah, yeah. I mean, we talk about a book tour. That would be fun. That would be amazing. It would be awesome. Passing on the right goes to scores and hustlers and like uh, all Crystal the Crystal City nightclub. Yeah, the problem Crystal is those City. places ain't cheap and I would have to pay for them. <laughs> Maybe you could pay by dancing. <laughs> Me dancing? Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. It's like Randy Quaid and Kingpin. That's right. Yeah. 
Now, circling back to my hopes and dreams, Mike. Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) (laughs) The most important part of this podcast. Yes. Now that you mention it, 100% would love a podcast producer. And I'll put it out there. I think this is a great pod. I, I love it. I've done it for 15 years. I would like it to be bigger. Look, that's what you do. You put it out there. So you're asking for someone to produce this yes and grow help me grow the audience in a meaningful way get it on a network or something like that yes i didn't even know that was in your worldview then that's something 100 with a friend of mine and it'll put the word out you got to get it out there you got to get you can't keep it in can't be a secret yeah i'm putting that why not why why shouldn't you do that no fucking hey man i i've worked professionally in radio for years i've done this i did this since it wasn't this Goddamn podcast predates the term podcast. For fuck's sake. That's how old it is. Put yourself out there, John. Don't run away from love. (laughs) Jonathan. (laughs) Papa. Papa. (laughs) Oh, do you know any good boys you can set me up with? (laughs) Any nice Greek pod producers who like smashing plates and doing radio. Yeah, exactly. I, I enjoy smashing things morning zoo style itself. itself. <laughs> it's right there. Uh, well, Mike. Yes, sir. Shall we? Shall we call it a day? Oh, this was fun. I... Oddly, it was so nice to talk with you. Uh, I've been following you on the social and you're delightful. Oh, and, like and listen, this. if you need help uh, putting a book out, if that's what you decide to do, and I would recommend it, let me know. Oh, I would love that. I would really appreciate any help or guidance. Um, and yes, this was so nice getting a chance to finally talk to you after years of being moots on the socials. Um, and if we didn't live in different countries of New York, I would say let's hang out. But if you are ever in the city or if I'm ever in Brooklyn, then let's definitely make it happen. Yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's pretend that it will, like, you know, like real friends. Well, well let's hang out sometime okay. and then never hang out. Let's do it. Let's do yeah. it. Okay. I, I, you know what? I am actually in town next weekend. So maybe the three of us can do something. Ooh, okay. Maybe I will make the the trek out to the forty mile walk out to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, can't you? I don't know. Don't you? People have scooters or fucking rideshare hang gliders at this point. Like, what? Do don't you... you have subways full of cops that you can't just take somewhere? Yeah, that are so busy keeping you safe. Are you coming up for professional reasons? Uh, if you. By which you mean saying uh, professional sex workers, then oh. not this trip. <laughs> no. um, I am just going up with some friends, some of which who really haven't done anything in uh, in uh, New York. And so I wanted to force them to watch improv with me nice. for three days and otherwise eat decent Italian food, which really cannot be found south of Philadelphia. Yeah, I'm shocked by that. It's not like there are no Italians in D.C. Yeah, but there isn't the volume. Like, there is... The volume. Well, you do, because it's like, we might have 10 Italians, but like, you know, they're... (laughs) They forget how to make a pizza unless they're surrounded by 40 other Italians. They need the hive mind, okay? And then it just kicks in. It's pheromones, like bumblebees, all right? Um, No, it's... There is one place I have found, but it's like off-the-boat Italians... And it's kind of like a more upscale thing. It's a restaurant called Salumeria, for fuck's sake. And they make a good sandwich, but, like, it's a little too hoity-toity. Like, I want some Where's that guy. Uh, it is right off. Of, it's at the intersection of Rhode Island and 12th Street Northeast. 
Okay. Actually, it's uh, next to a Neapolitan pizza joint, Pupatella. Pupatella. <laughs> Pupatella. They are. Pupatella. <laughs> it's got an umlaut, just like Colin Juice. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, it's good, but again, it's like a dude straight out of Milan. Yeah. Cook, you know, making your crap. It's a little too clean and hoity toity. Like, I want a guy who's like great grandpa came over from Ellis and built a bridge or something. Yeah, that doesn't exist anymore. Oh, <laughs> no, don't shatter that for me. <laughs> it really doesn't. Uh, Michael, if uh, so, one more time, it's yep. passing on the right. Passing hey. on the right, and let's do this shit. Let's do this shit. Awesome. Both available, digital, uh, and passing is in print as well that's fucking great God. thank you guys it was so fun and I oh man you having me on i love you it's been a minute i miss you all right my yeah. friend i love you too let's get together uh maybe two three years from now sounds good somehow. yeah <laughs> You're like i'm busy what weekend are you coming i'm busy that <laughs> yeah uh, all right all right all right it was bye. great talking to you guys yeah, great talk and take care guys all right bye bye, bye. Bang, bang. Hey, what's up, buddy? Oh, Mama Laka. <laughs> oh, I'm party. late already. Hello. <laughs> oh, the tardy party. The tardy party. The retardy party. <laughs> I know. How are you doing? How's marriage treating you? Uh, I'm not married, but oh. well, <laughs> so okay. great. <laughs> how does being a parent treat you? Um, like shit. <laughs> um, how does it? How is it treating you? Well, I have different troubles. My my daughter just turned 13, so there are other issues. But babies, uh, how old is your baby? She's two now. So oh, she's like okay. not quite a baby, but she's still very much a baby. Um, she's just like demanding and verbal now and, and yeah. Uh, yeah. occasionally violent. So she's like a little John Belushi, like hilarious, okay. but, you know, all oh, over right. the place. Yeah, every age has this pro- uh, pluses and minuses, I guess. mm what was your favorite age for your kid thus far, Mike? Hmm. Uh, maybe four or five. Yeah, that's a sweet spot because they're like, they're still little and cute, but they're like kind of self-sufficient. You're heading into the like, is she going to stab me in my sleep phase? Of yeah, child I don't need wearing. that in my life. But <laughs> I mean, she's a sweet kid, but you know, the hormones. Right. Yeah. They're no picnic. Estrogen's like... Uh, fucking it's you know the work of the devil it makes you dumb and emotional and crazy i really had no idea how hard it was for women before i had a daughter it's crazy and you know what i didn't realize until i got pregnant was that like estrogen really makes you kind of stupid in some ways and i'm like not trying to be sexist they call it pregnancy brain and it's also something that my um that my trans friends have experienced when they were doing like hormone therapy and taking estrogen, they were like, holy fuck, it made me so dumb. <laughs> Especially in math. Uh-oh. <laughs> no, like, you know, I wish it was even just relegated to one area, but it's like, it's everything. Like I was trying to like refill my subway card, but I'm just trying to mash like money in before I even put the card in the machine. Just like dumb. Were you better at shopping though? <laughs> um i was way better at laundry folding and ironing and and polishing my toenails yes all the women all the womanly things okay
Okay. So are you still in DC area? Uh, oh, me or Molly? No, Molly. Oh, I don't. I never lived in the DC oh. area. I've been in New York for like the past eighteen years. Oh, well, I thought yeah. you were in Northern Virginia. No. no, I wanted you guys to party up. Actually, mm. yeah. If you're in the city, we should definitely get together. Live? I'm on the Upper West Side. Oh, that's another. That's another city. I can't. I can't go up there. <laughs> oh yeah. Where are you? A Park Slope. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we're basically in another country. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And um. <laughs> New Yorkers are the latest. Oh, we so really are. Provincial. <laughs> yeah, that's like the same thing. Whenever there's like a fucking disaster or a shooting or a bomb explosion, and if it's more than ten blocks away, you're like, oh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, that it's happening in Ukraine. Me. I don't care. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's all their cute problem. Until this latest uh, shooting, which was about a mile away from us. I know, so scary. Is everyone you know okay? Yeah, everyone's fine. Uh, my daughter scared the crap out of her, but everyone's safe, thankfully. It's so crazy. Now Eric Adams is like, let's double our fucking police budget, even though they didn't do anything. Right. And it was someone else phoning it in to be I like, I love the guy who phoned guy. it in, by the way. Did you see that guy? I didn't. Oh, he he's a real New Yorker. I mean, he, he just has a story. You know, it's a big story on how he discovered the guy. Oh, and, yeah. And then he took the microphone for the people interviewing him and then started walking around and interviewing others. I mean, he was just like a real New York character. Came, came here from, um, uh, I forget what country, but he speaks five languages. He's 21. Oh, shit. Yeah, just great, great New York story. He's like holding the bodega cat the whole time. And he's like, you know, my friend Johnny Two Tones, who came in with the, you know, Junior Mint's delivery, told me that he saw this guy running down the street and blah, blah, blah. It's always the same story. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Yeah, those are those are the real New York heroes. The cops like, you know, I'm not, you know, I don't I'm not knocking them because I don't want to get murdered by one. But, um, you know, they're kind of useless. They really are. Yeah. And a lot of money goes to them. Right. And it should be going to me. Certain, <laughs> certain podcasts. Yes. It should be going to Papa's basement. So you guys interview anyone interesting of recent note? I think you're our first interview together. So yes. Yes. Oh, you're it. getting tag teamed right now. Oh, I yeah. It. it feels so good. <laughs> I want to know more about your book because every like I haven't had the leisure time to sit down and do anything lately. Well, should, is this are we recording? Should we wait for this? Because this is that we're roll. I was just going to throw this chunk in on the end because it was funny, but I guess it hasn't been properly introduced. So you know what? Let me hop in for five seconds and do the intros, I guess, and we'll we'll label this the intro oh, of the episode. Do you want me to record on my end? Quick time. Sure, if you want, yeah, go for it. No, I mean, but is, would that be helpful to you? Uh, honestly, I mean, this records it. It's all self-contained, and then I just junk it out. So you're good either way. I can right. honestly, yeah, I can handle it all. Okay. John, do you want me to not do anything? Would that be helpful? Because <laughs> uh, I'm not going to do shit. I'm not doing anything to help. What? No, you guys were doing great. This is like my favorite episode so far. I haven't done any I just, shit. I just mean technical, technical. Oh, uh, gotcha. <laughs> Can I do anything? Can I use a, a proper mic and headphones? Fuck it. I'm not doing that. I, I just want you to apply lipstick to yourself like Steve Buscemi in <laughs> Billy Madison. That's it. <laughs> 
just smear it on i love that even in an audio thing you still want to know that i'm falling into all the feminist trappings of like, yes exactly like being slavish to putting on lipstick i need your legs shaved molly okay don't be a fucking pig well then you need to get someone else on this podcast because i haven't shaved since the pandemic <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> oh, God. oh shit all right uh we'll start